Hello there, and welcome back to the Future in Focus podcast by LRQA. Or, if you're new here, thank you. In today's episode, LRQA's Chief Growth Officer, Ian Spaulding, is joined by special guest Mike Posner to talk about the S in ESG, what it is, how it's evolved, and why it should be at the top of an organization's agenda. Thanks, everybody, for joining us. So my name is Ian Spaulding. I'm the Chief Growth Officer from LRQA, uh, based here in London. And I'm delighted to be joined by uh, Mike Posner, uh, a friend and long-term colleague uh, who's been working in the space of ESG and human rights, uh, along with business, for many years. But, but maybe, Mike, I might ask you to put you on the spot and introduce yourself in a little bit more detail, both the current role that you have at Stern, uh, but also um, maybe introduce our audience to some of the previous hats that you've worn uh, in your illustrious career. Uh, Thanks, Ian, and it's great to be with you. Um, So I'm currently, uh, and I have been for the last 10 years at the NYU Stern School of Business, where I'm a professor and uh, teach, but also run a center on business and human rights. It's the first human rights center at a business school anywhere. And we work on a range of issues, including supply chain labor issues, but also issues relating to technology, the investment sector, et cetera. And before coming here, uh, I worked for the US government. I was an assistant secretary of state for democracy, human rights, and labor uh, in the Obama administration from 2009 to 2013. And before that, I spent many years uh, running an organization now called Human Rights First in New York. And I also taught uh, law at a couple of law schools, Yale and Columbia. But I've been working in the business and human rights space for a long time, working with you, Ian, and others, and uh, really have seen this field evolve to where it is today. And I think we're at a very interesting place. So it's great to be with you. Great. Thanks, Mike. And let's start. You talked about your career and a lot of work on business and human rights. But the topic we're going to talk about is the broader topic of ESG or environment, social and governance issues, which I think has evolved in that same kind of uh, career history that you've had. Um, And I think there's certainly a lot of work that have gone on. Uh, in the private sector on, on the environmental initiatives. Um, certainly, you know, that goes back many years. Uh, but I think a lot of people in our audience may not understand the S um, in, in ESG. Um, so maybe maybe if you don't mind, maybe we'll just dig into the S, which you obviously have experience dealing that as it relates to human rights. But if you don't mind, maybe we'll just start and dig into what is the S in ESG and, and tell us your perspective about how businesses are trying to address it. Well, the S uh, is social, and social can mean many different things. That's one of the challenges we face today. Um, It certainly includes some elements of uh, diversity and inclusion, um, but also, I would say, issues relating to labor practices and the outsourcing of global uh, labor. Uh, ESG is a uh, combination of uh, what what we what economists would call externalities, things that are not directly related to uh, business uh, returns. And it came out of an effort by the World Economic Forum in 2004. So it's not an old concept to basically respond to what is a growing 
public demand, public concern about climate change, as you say, about a number of environmental issues, but also some broader social issues like diversity and like labor practices and supply chains. Uh, and it's evolved very quickly, and it's now basically uh, a big factor in our investment economy, something like $35 trillion are in what are called ESG funds, uh, but they cover a range of very different issues and go about it in very different ways. Yeah, are there funds that, I mean, since you mentioned the 35 trillion in ESG funds, are there funds that specifically focus on, on the S in ESG, or is it primarily kind of more of a catch-all for the broader topic of ESG? I'm not aware of any funds that call themselves S funds. Um, people seem to have sort of group the three things together. The govern governance issues are things that, you know, corporations and lawyers have been dealing with for a long time. It's not really clear to me why that's grouped in with the environmental and social. But by and large, overwhelmingly, the funds call themselves ESG. And as you suggest, often they're much more focused on the environmental side of the equation than on the social side. And so are companies now, at least from your vantage point, focused on ESG in general and S specifically? And if so, why, Mike? Well, I would say um, increasingly, yes. Companies are aware that consumers and investors are paying much greater attention than they were, say, a decade ago or 15 years ago. Certainly on the climate crisis, people... Lots of people view that as a kind of existential threat to our well-being, but also on the social side. People are worried about um, the exploitation of workers. Uh, we're, what we see going on with the World Cup in, in Qatar is a reflection of the fact that lots of people are saying, who built those stadiums and what were the conditions um, that they uh, labored in? There's a lot of concern about economic inequality. There's a concern about diversity. So yes, I would say companies are reacting to both what investors are saying, what consumers are saying, and very importantly to what their own employees are saying. These are issues that matter, especially to the next generations that are coming into the workforce. Younger workers are paying attention to this, younger investors. And there are also things that I would say women overwhelmingly are paying greater attention than men to. So uh, this is something that's coming down the pike. I don't think companies um, can ignore these issues for much longer if they're doing it at all. And I think now we have to make it more real and have better data, better ways of evaluating how do you actually perform better on the S and the E. Now, so that's super helpful, Mike, but you didn't mention government. And as a guy who used to work in government, do you feel like government is also asking companies to do more to address these ESG issues? And if so, maybe elaborate on a couple of areas where, where either the U.S. government or, or other governments around the world have, have said, we're, we're going to regulate you, the private sector, to manage these ESG issues. Yes, absolutely. There has been, I would say, in the last five to eight years, much greater focus among governments, both in the EU, where I'd say the, the greatest uh, focus is now, but also in the US. So let me take those each separately. The uh, European Union has now, this year, 
mandated that every EU government adopt what they call mandatory due diligence laws on environment and human rights on social issues. What that means is that both regulators and the courts are going to play a greater role in evaluating whether or not companies are exercising adequate due diligence with respect to these issues. The French government were the first to do this in 2017. Now a number of Western European governments have followed suit, and as I say, the European Union is mandating that all 27 EU members adopt these mandatory due diligence laws. So that's one example from Europe. In the United States, we have a couple of examples. The Security and Exchange Commission under Gary Gensler's leadership has now mandated or has, has proposed rules uh, governing reporting by companies. The first on uh, carbon footprint, uh, which was uh, proposed at the end of last year. It's gotten a lot of attention, more comments than anything the SEC has ever proposed. A second on greenwashing, which came out in May, and a third on what's called human capital. So they're going to be looking, I think, at the diversity and labor supply chain issues probably early next year. But that's one form of government saying basically we're going to demand that companies produce better data and make it available to us, the government. Another very specific example, again from this year, is uh, a law that was passed by Congress overwhelmingly um, called the Uyghur Forced Labor Prevention Act. And it basically says there is a presumption that products coming from the Xinjiang region of China are produced with forced labor and can't be imported into the United States. And so that means cotton, overwhelmingly Chinese cotton comes from Xinjiang. Um, it means solar panels, uh, again, overwhelmingly the ingots and uh, wafers are produced in, in Xinjiang province where uh, forced labor is, uh, is widespread. So the U.S. government is saying um, we are now taking measures basically to uh, tell companies these are things you need to be paying attention to and we're going to mandate that by law. And, and so you, you mentioned in the beginning that just the, the role of consumers, the role of employees within a company to apply pressure for companies to advance ESG. And then you just mentioned just the, the sheer number of new regulations that have come into effect in the EU and the U.S., I guess the question is, which one is more effective in, in sparking change and also in driving impact? And I and those are two different things, but I, I'm just curious from your perspective, uh, is it a little bit of both or, or is uh, one uh, a superior route to spur companies more than another? And are we going to be happy with the outcome that comes from that particular uh, uh, spurring, if you will? Well, whether we're going to be happy uh, is, a, is a question I think that is quite open. I'm not sure the answer to that. But what I will say is I think the government role here is as a catalyst. The governments are saying, both the European governments and the U.S., we're not satisfied that companies acting alone <clears throat> are going to do what's needed in a timely manner. So they're putting pressure on companies to pay more attention to these issues and to come up with better data. Um, that, I think, is going to inevitably force 
companies to rethink the way they're doing it, which I think is a good thing. Um, it's going to mean, though, that companies have to uh, take the bull by the horns and have to uh, internally figure out how to do this in a practical way consistent with you know, making a profit and, and being successful commercially. What's lacking here, and what I think there's going to be increasing pressure to do, is to have companies uh, pay greater attention, for example, to their global workforce, get better data, have industry, industry by industry standards and metrics. Um, right now, that $35 trillion that I described in the investment sector is largely looking at risks to investors, not to people in the planet. It's very loosely defined. And so I think what you're seeing is that the investors, the big institutional investors have said, boy, there are a lot of people who are concerned about environment. They're concerned about you know, human rights and social and labor issues and diversity and inequality. Let's just give them something and call it ESG and promise them that we're going to give them comparable financial returns. I don't think that's possible, and I don't think going forward that's going to be enough. And so I think what government is doing is, stir, is actually serving as a catalyst for companies and those around them to say, you actually need to measure these things. You actually need to be out in, in, in the factories or the farms where you're producing things. You need to know what's going on. And you need to have reasonable measures so that you can evaluate and others can evaluate what you're doing. One of the things I'm very keen on is that the companies that are leading in this area, whether on the environment or social side, ought to be given credit for it. And right now, I think there, there's such a lack of um, data and a lack of serious measurement um, that it's very hard for a company to demonstrate leadership because there's so much noise in the space. We need to create real incentives for a system to be uh, measurable, to be clear, to be transparent, so that those industry leaders can get credit, uh, both in the marketplace and from their own employees. No, I think it's a super important. I, I would say, I mean, your comment about the the, the role of regulation in, in spurring, but also in holding companies accountable is super important, especially as we go into a recessionary environment, because I would imagine, and I'm curious to get your thoughts on this, I would imagine that uh, there's going to be some difficult choices that companies are making in, in the UK, in the US, and Europe as we enter uh, what might be an extended recessionary environment. Would ESG be put as a, on the back burner in light of uh, the need to focus on profits and cash, you know, et cetera? So I'm, I'm curious to get your, your predictions on whether or not we are going to see that in the next few years. Yeah, I, I don't think there's any doubt that uh, the, um, uh, uh, the focus on issues like environment and social um, conditions um, is much easier when you have a robust economy. When the economy tightens, when you go into a recession or an economic uh, downturn, uh, everybody's going to be scrambling to figure out where do we cut costs. And the easiest place, in a way, is to go outside of the core you know, business to look at things like their supply chains and labor as a cost. Um, so I think there's going to be a lot of pressure now to kind of go into a tighten our belts mode, but it's not going to last forever. And I think the broader trend to me is 
government pressure is not going to decrease, it's going to increase. There's going to be more focus, again, on differentiating those that are paying greater attention to these issues and those that are trying to shirk their responsibility. And that's going to mean that there's a bet companies that are going to do better, in my judgment, are those that right now are thinking about how do we put systems in place so that we actually know what's going on in our business realm, in our, in our business model? How do we be sure that we're prepared um, as these issues become a subject of greater government regulation, greater consumer pressure, greater company employee pressure, so that we're ahead of the curve as, the, as we start to come out of a recessionary period? I think for the next few years, for sure, there's going to be belt tightening. But the broader trend to me is that these issues are not going away. They're going to be a bigger part of the economy five, ten years from now than they are today. And the companies that succeed are those that are going to be doing the work now to put themselves in place to be leaders. You, you also mentioned a few minutes ago about leaders, uh, um, companies that, that have taken a leadership role in advancing ESG, uh, not necessarily getting the credit that they deserve. Um, where is that coming from? Is that, is that really at the, at the feet of media or have companies gone out too, you know, too much, too further in terms of um, wh where their actual impact is and, and consumers and activists are challenging uh, the impact that they've achieved? What, what do you think is the root cause for why we still live in this name and shame, even among the leadership companies that, that exist today? So I think there are two uh, factors, at least, that are uh, contributing to that. One is that you have on the advocacy side, the, the human rights groups and others, the social activists, um, uh, a, a tendency or a, a propensity for doing the naming and the shaming. We will expose violations. We will write a report, it'll get media attention. And the media feeds into that. That's sort of the MO of even the mainstream media. It's always looking for a good story. And uh, it's sort of like shooting fish in a barrel. Let's go look for some place in the world where something bad is happening and attach the name of a big global brand to that. And we will you know, write a big story or do a, a, a show, a TV show or whatever and, get, and good, get good ratings for that. Um, so one element of it is the media, uh, social activist, uh, uh, you know, playbook, which has been there for a long time, and if anything is accentuated by social media. It's now so much easier to get somebody with a video attached to their phone to upload something, and all of a sudden you're off and running on that expose in the name and shame. That's one aspect of this. And I think the other aspect is that too many companies have spent more money on public relations and advertising than they have in actually trying to improve the way they produce things. And so there is a skepticism on the part of the public, a big part of the public, about what is now called greenwashing or bluewashing or sportswashing, lots of names for it. But there's so many companies that are a uh, advertising the fact that they're leaders, they're doing great on environment, they care about their people, they're doing all kinds of things to promote diversity. And there's a skepticism because it's really hard to measure those things. 
And so I think the, the combination of those things, to me, desperately calls out for a better system where companies are actually seriously evaluating what they're doing. There are industry standards and metrics. There is a means of evaluating performance that's credible. And there is accountability. And at the end of the day, some companies are going to come out looking better and some worse. Those that are doing better, in fact, ought to be getting the credit for that. Um, Ian, as you know, I chair something called the Fair Labor Association. We've been around 20 years. And a number of good companies have been part of that effort. It's not perfect. But we put them through the paces. Um, they do a, an evaluation. We do an evaluation of them every three years. And one of my frustrations is the companies that are actually doing the hard work of getting accredited by the Fair Labor Association don't get a lot of credit for that. And so I think, and whether or not that's, that's not the only example, but it's one, we need to find ways to basically improve the gathering of data, the evaluation of performance. And frankly, companies you know, like yours, Ian, can be part of that solution. You're doing a serious kind of social auditing. Companies need to take advantage of that or use that kind of a, of a service, what Elevate does and others, um, to basically improve their own evaluation of their own performance and then be ready to go out and let others come in and uh, confirm that they're doing the right thing. I think we can get there. This is not rocket science but it requires companies to get their own house in order, to have outsiders come in and evaluate, and then be ready to reap the rewards if, in fact, they're doing the right thing. They ought to get credit for it, as I say, with their own employees, with consumers, and with investors. That's super helpful, Mike. Um, maybe my final question, really, you know, the, the, the folks who listen to this podcast tend to be folks that, that are driving sustainability or ESG within their companies, and they may be risk officers uh, or head of quality, um, you know, um, uh, or, or, you know, food safety, et cetera. I mean, what advice do you have for them over the course of the next three to five years as, as we think about the increasing regulation, the new requirements, and also the, 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 the challenge in, in this you know, economic environment to achieve big things with, with limited budgets. Where, where would you encourage them to focus or prioritize? Well, I think the people you're talking about within companies, have, their biggest challenge is to marshal the facts and make the case at the C-suite. Uh, these things, companies don't make big commitments in these issues if the corporate leadership at the top aren't, aren't willing to do so. And there's all kinds of competing pressures, as we've talked about, the pressures of a tightening economy, the pressures by people in the operations or the sourcing uh, side of the house trying to figure out how to get the most for the, you know, as quickly as possible at the lowest cost. And so I think for people in companies that are on the um, ESG or sustainability side, um, CSR, whatever it's called, I think it's really important to be making a good case to management, to the C-suite executives, that what I'm saying is, in fact, predicting a future where these issues are not going away, 
there's going to be more scrutiny, greater uh, demand by government, by consumers, by their by the company's employees, to actually dig in and figure out where how is the business running, what are the risks you face, and how do you uh, reduce those risks by getting on top of uh, what's going on. It means monitoring what's happening. It means training. There are a range of things that can be done. But I think for people in this, in this audience, it's really putting together the case for why this is smart business. It's in the long term going to make the companies that you're working for uh, more effective, more competitive, more sustainable in a meaningful way. Thank you, Mike. I appreciate your advice, and uh, um, I'm glad you're doing what you're doing, Mike, and, and educating the future business leaders of America, but also uh, the broader investment community, business community about ESG and the need for us to, to up our game and, and do it better. So it's important work, and, and I just uh, encourage you to keep, keep doing it. All right. I promise I will, and you keep doing what you're doing. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to the Future in Focus podcast. Please visit our homepage on Spotify to listen to more episodes and stay up to date with new releases. To find out more about LRQA services, please visit www.lrqa.com. Music